and welcome to The Executive Appeal, a show that convenes the world's most powerful and successful leaders to share mentoring and career advancement advice to help you successfully transition into senior level executive positions. I'm your host, Alex Trimble, award-winning speaker, author, and leadership expert with over a decade of experience coaching and advising some of our nation's most senior level government leaders. So if you're ready to reach your goals, let's get started. Hello, everyone. My name is Alex Trimble, and this is the Executive Pill Podcast. As you know, this show, along with all of our speaking, coaching, and consulting services, are laser-focused on helping organizations prepare leaders from all backgrounds to successfully transition to and excel in VP and senior VP level positions. And look, if that's what you or your interest, your organization is interested in, then look, this is the place to be, man. If you're if you're if you're interested and you're focused on not only retaining, but, you know, bringing in diverse and highly effective leaders. This is the place you need to be. I encourage you to reach out to us at gpsleadership.org or contact us at team at gpsleadership.org. I think me being a new father is really starting to get to me because this this sleep deprivation. (laughs) We're going to go on in transition, but I just want to say, look, you know, this show is now top 5% most popular in the world. And this didn't happen by accident. It happened because of you. So if you want this show to continue to serve you, but not only you, but those around you, please do us a favor. Click that like, click subscribe, share your ideas, your thoughts, your comments in the comment section, because that allows us to now engage with you, which we love to do, and also engages the algorithm, which allows more people to be inspired, motivated, and helped by this information. And finally, my new book, Relationships That Work, Four Simple Steps to Building Intentional Connections in Business and Life is now available at Amazon.com. Please find that link in the description below. With no further ado, goodness gracious, let me say today is a good day. See, today we have the wonderful, the amazing, the awesome Mr. Jared Neepin. And Jared currently serves as the VP, VP of Talent at Great Clips Inc., which is actually the largest hair care brand in the world with over 1,200 franchisees and over 4,300 salons across the world, which is pretty freaking amazing. Um, Prior to this role, Jared spent 14 years at Target Corporation and at Best Buy Corporation, um, where he led college recruiting teams, built human resource strategies, and directed technology implementation for talent management. And, and let me just say, I, I will be the first person to say, so if you're watching this on uh, YouTube or any, any, any place where you see, see the actual interview, let me say, you can tell he works at, at this organization at Great Clips because his hair is on fleek consistently. <laughs> How are you doing today, Jared? <laughs> I'm doing great. The only, the only problem I have with my hair is it's uh, very slowly disappearing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, what I like to say is that it's not it's not disappearing. It's providing more space so everyone can see how big your brain is right. because you're so smart. See? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Although every time I introduce myself to somebody and I say I work for Great Clips, it's kind of funny because you can actually watch their eyes like dart up to your to the top of my head as they as they check out my hair so that they can see if if my hair is actually worthy or not of me saying that I work for a hair care company. <laughs> so the good news is we've got great stylists that keep it, keep it on point for me, which is, uh, which is helpful. Is that part of your, um, the, the benefits package? 
when you when you're recruiting like you everyone gets to know. <laughs> yes free haircuts and lots of stylists that can advise you on what to do with your hair yes <laughs> or what not to do or what not to do right uh, i used to have a mohawk um i i i wanted a mohawk so bad i think they look so cool so i think in, in college i did like three weeks with a mohawk during summer break i looked one i looked really cool especially because i was in shape you know like you know you know look tough um my wife saw me and was like stop shave it <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> i hear you well my son right now is is looking to perm the top of his head and i think my wife is like what in the world is happening <laughs> and i'm like hey let him let him do what he wants with this hair and he he can live with the consequences so we'll see what happens but he wants the curly mop top and i guess i guess we're going with it well, well you know we're gonna we're gonna go in that direction you have an extremely strong background in town acquisition. And I would believe that one of the important things for people looking to be um, recruited to, to be acquired by an organization is to stand out. So technically what your son is doing is fantastic, right? Right. Like, you want to stand out? <laughs> yes, he's going to stand out for sure. So <laughs> let's see what it does for him. <laughs> so, but you know, but you know, look, you know, this show is focused on helping individuals get to those senior level positions. And, you know, what I mean from a serious standpoint, what are you looking for when you're looking for those leaders to fill those spots? Yeah, so it you know it probably depends a lot on the level of that individuals are coming in at, right? And mm -hmm. I started being a leader many many years ago, first time manager managing managing individuals who were recruiters, and I would tell you. What I looked for then and what I did then is very different um, from what I do now and what I look mm -hmm. for now. Um, but I think the one of the things that like has really captured my attention for individuals who move up in the organization and the type of people that I have on my team, um, it is uh, ownership. Uh, the individuals on my mm -hmm. team that really excel take ownership of something and I get to serve in this really cool role of being a coach, a sounding board, uh, but I don't have to manage. I don't have to yeah. like tell people what to do or how to do it. They just have that initiative. They have the drive, uh, and I just kind of step aside and let them let them do what they uh, what they do best. Um, and that's the reason we hired them. We hired them to be smarter than us, uh, to tell us what to do. And so, anytime that we can get that uh, in an employee, uh, it works really well. You know what's funny is the um, one of the last interviews I did um, a few episodes back now um, was of Pete, and Pete was a, a chief human capital officer at one of the large organizations um, within the Coke Industries. And when I asked him, "Hey, you know, we're wrapping up. You want to share any final advice?" The thing he said was, "Take ownership." He said that you know, when you're working at that level, like your supervisor has a million things that they need to also be focused on. And if they can just, if, if they can depend on you to do what you have to do, like you're so much of a value add, but it sounds like, it almost feels like that's not top of mind. Like just, just doing what you got to do and taking responsibility for the successes, but also when you mess up. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember a number of times when in my career, when people have asked me, uh, you know, what do you value most uh, in your employees? Um, accountability is almost always at the top of my list. So yeah, the drive, the initiative, that ownership is really important, but the accountability piece um, is just as important. And 
I would always tell my employees, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to yell. I'm not that kind of guy. But hopefully what we're going to do is we're going to learn from mistakes because I do think it's just a, a part of, of learning. And I tend to try not to let my employees break a leg. I'll let them skin a knee. Uh, but if something major is going to happen and I see it coming, I might step in and say, hey, I know how to prevent <laughs> something <laughs> really going wrong here. But there have been times where I've said, I don't know if this is going to go that that well. And I've let it go uh, because I know the employee is going to learn from it and possibly do it differently next time. So I just think the that whole piece of it is uh, is how you grow and develop. And if the employee takes ownership of it, that's the only way that they're going to, to learn. Uh, and if they don't take ownership of it, then they're not going to really learn from it and it's not going to benefit them or the organization. Yeah. You know, I, I tell a story in, in my new book, um, Relationships That Work. I'm not, I'm not going to tell that one because that one's in the book. But there's a, another funny one. I work for this guy. I used to work for this guy. Uh, his name is George. Um, years back. And the first week I started working for him, he works in a very um, political arena where you can get yourself in a lot of trouble if you talk to the wrong person, doing the wrong thing, and so on and so forth. And I had the honor of being the director, the then director of the National Park Service asked me to come and work for them. And I'm like super excited. And he takes me in his office the first week. And the first thing he tells me is, if something goes wrong, tell me. We can fix any problem if we know that something happened. And he says, actually, it, we can fix it. This is probably not the best thing to say. I mean, I shouldn't have said the guy's name. Actually, his name isn't that. His name is Thomas. <laughs> his name is Thomas. And um, we worked at uh, this other place. Um, but he said, we can fix any problem as long as someone didn't die. And if they did, it just means more paperwork. And right. obviously, he doesn't wish. <laughs> the point was to say something. Don't hide it. it doesn't, hiding problems doesn't make them better. Right. We used to say when I worked at Target, we used to say we are we're not <laughs> probably shouldn't say this either. We're not killing children here. We are <laughs> we are getting people toilet paper. That's it. So, <laughs> so kind of in the same vein. We used to, we used to tell employees actually brand new in merchandising, we would say, you're going to make a million dollar mistake at some point in the next year or two. And it's gonna be okay. We're gonna learn from it. The company can handle it. And mm -hmm. I, I do remember my million dollar mistake, I ordered way too many 4th of July t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we had to mark them all down. We lost a ton of money on them. Uh, but wow, did I learn not to order that many 4th of July t-shirts. <laughs> I, I love, I, I love that. I love that you, you, you went big, right? You went oh, big. Yeah. You, you don't want to order not enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't everybody love the 4th of July? I need a 4th of July t-shirt. <laughs> Apparently, I, uh, I didn't look at the data closely enough from the previous years. And had I done that, I probably would have uh, made some better decisions there. But. I mean, you round up a couple hundred thousand. Right. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a rounding error. Right, right exactly. You, you know what's funny, though? Is I had a different question. But I want to go this route. The, the numbers, like dollars and cents. When I first started off my, my career, obviously I'm an intern, I'm working with like, you know, $500. Like I'm looking at little, little itty bitty budgets and having to ask for, you know, can I, can I buy this? Can I spend that? And then I, you know, I rose up in leadership and now I'm working with, you know, you know, $50,000 budgets and I'm asking like, okay, well, can I spend a thousand dollars here? You know, getting approval. And I still remember my, my first time I was managing I think it was like at that point, it was like almost 20, almost 20 million dollars. I still remember asking for, you know, can I spend this? And the supervisor was like, why are you asking me? Like, this is, 
this is this is your budget. It's it's a rounding it's, error. It's a rounding <laughs> error. <laughs> like so, so I'd love to ask you, like, how has that how has that that the context of those decisions changed as you move to those more senior level positions where like I said, there are certain numbers that are rounding errors. You have certain ability to make a decision without asking, and there's possible re- repercussions for it. Right. So as you move up, you obviously get typically larger budgets, more responsibility, more scope, uh, and those and those types of things. And so I think you you get pretty well. You you start to really figure out like kind of what's that threshold. This is what's in my power. And sometimes organizations will just tell you, you know, you have this. You know, you can approve anything up to this, but you mm-hmm. still have the fiduciary responsibility to the organization because you want the organization to be profitable. So sometimes you do approve something or or spend something, and then somebody raises an eyebrow, and then that's that's when you have accountability and you take ownership, and you're like, hey, you know what? I get it. Uh, I'll do it differently next time, uh, or I'll ask next time. Sometimes you ask for permission. Sometimes you ask for, for forgiveness, and the forgiveness those are some of the times when you when you learn the most. I mean, again, I'm going to ask a super simple question, though. How do you know when to ask for permission versus ask for forgiveness? Well, sometimes you just got to ask your, your supervisor, your leader, your finance person, uh, whatever the case may be. And, and typically, you kind of know. I, it's, you kind of have that gut feeling of, gosh, this is probably something I should probably get permission for. I should really ask about this because this seems like it might be you know, might be without outside the realm of, of what I should be approving or what I should be, uh, what I should be doing. But for the most part, I would say that if, if you, if you typically, uh, if you have your budget and you stay within the confines of the budget, leaders and finance people don't necessarily have the, the time or discipline to, to look at every single line item that's coming through. They just want to know, are you on budget and how, and how are you doing with that? So when I first took over, when I first came to Great Clips, and you know, that was almost nine years ago, and my boss said, "You know, here's here's your budget," and I just kind of asked, "You know, what types of approvals do I need to get on this?" And she said, "It's your budget. As long as you stay within budget, you figure out how you want to do that." And so I took a ton of ownership, more so than I had at other uh, other companies, and I moved things around. I switched things up. If I wanted to spend fifteen thousand dollars over here, I figured out how to save fifteen thousand dollars over here so that I could make it work within mm-hmm. budget. And there have been times where I, I've come and said, you know what, I'm going to be over budget and here's why. And uh, it's typically something like out of our control, like travel, right? I have a lot of travel in my budget yeah. and plane tickets go up and gas prices go up and, and travel all of a sudden gets a little bit more expensive. But we say the travel is still important. And so typically yeah. in those cases, it's not just me, it's everyone across the company. So usually our leaders are like, yep, we get it and it's okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, dude, I mean, you travel... I mean, your travel schedule to the Bahamas is is just unreal. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I got to I got to tend to my offshore accounts and <laughs> make sure that they're okay. We're all we're joking here. We are all right. joking. We are definitely joking. Yes, <laughs> yes. But you know, you know, it's funny because I so I wasn't going to share the story, but now I am. So I still remember there was a time I served as chief of staff in this, um, this, this political organization I worked with, a large organization, very political in, in Washington, D.C. And I still remember how we were approached by a, a media outlet to comment on something. And um, it was my job. I oversaw, I oversaw comms and a bunch of other stuff as chief of staff. And I've working with a team to get it done. And 
like the deadline was about to hit. I don't miss deadlines. That's I, I never miss deadlines. And the deadline's about to hit, and it, it, all the information had been collected, and so on and so forth. And finally, uh, I got this, the word from my boss: "Hey, don't respond. We yet we don't got the information yet." And I'm like, "But the time's ticking. They're about to post without us, and they're gonna say some stuff." And I'm like, "They're like, hey, don't worry about it. We don't got the information." And I said, "Okay, okay." okay. Uh, I, I'm looking at your smile, so you know what I did, right? <laughs> I, I responded because I, I just knew we didn't want to miss that deadline. I still remember my supervisor found out about it that same day and set me down and let me know that she was not happy right. uh, with my decision. And I, I, I literally, and I'm, so I'm super serious about my product, and I cried on the way home. I'm like, oh my God, I need to resign. Um, because I am horrible. And my mentor told me, like, look, Alex, like, you're not horrible. You made a bad choice. You know, if you're going to uh, be in leadership positions at some point, you're, you're going to have to trust your gut. And, and this time it wasn't, it wasn't right. Um, other times it was right. And you, and you, you were able to take the accolades of it. And this time it wasn't. So you have to deal with the consequences and don't make that mistake again. And so like, I, I just, it's, Again, in retrospect, yeah, I should not have commented <laughs> the media. Um, but I, you know, and I just knew I was, I knew I was doing the right thing. Like, yeah, you ever been challenged with like where your gut was telling you, like, no, this is the right answer? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, as I think about it, the last couple of years with the pandemic, uh, there were there were many times uh, that throughout that we couldn't look at the playbook of how this has been done before. So we were making decisions on the fly with certain things. Um, and I'm kind of thinking about like early, early on in the pandemic, when we didn't know a whole lot about uh, COVID, when there wasn't a vaccine yet, when we're trying to navigate uh, salons that are closed, our own employees, when we're trying to navigate travel and all sorts of things and protocols. I mean, this was this, this kind of became HR's job was to try to figure out how we manage employees through this. And so I do remember having conversations with different leaders and everyone had different opinions on what we should do. And there were times where, uh, where I was like, this, this, my gut tells me this is the right way to go. And it could have been on like, nope, we don't op open the office yet. Or if we do, we're going to require masks for a while or whatever the case is. And so uh, so there are sometimes that your gut is probably right, but sometimes you have to, you have to get other people there. Mm. And in your situation, you didn't have a lot of time, right? You had a deadline that was, that was coming up uh, quite rapidly. Um, in my situation, I was able to really get everyone there over the course of a couple of days. Um, and it wasn't like just coming hard into the meeting and saying, gosh, I think, uh, Sorry, this is another reason why we do this live is I'm in the middle of getting a call on my computer. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so I didn't come hard into the meeting and say, put my foot down. This is how it's got to go. This is I, I, I'm positive. I feel really yeah. strongly about this. It was it was meeting individually with with different people and mm -hmm. getting their buy in and and hey, I think this might be what we want to do. And here is why. What do you think? And then and like having it all come out in the conversation. So there's there's definitely an art to that. Uh, type of getting people on board, uh, whereas uh, whereas just coming right in and saying, "Nope, we're doing this," wouldn't have worked. I would have it would have just put everyone on the defensive. 
the the meetings before the meetings. Um, the meeting, yeah. <laughs> right. and worse are the meetings after the meetings. So those, <laughs> those are the ones we really try to avoid. But the meetings before oh, yeah. the meetings. <laughs> but you know, again, I was I was doing something, and they were talking. Oh no, I was at some training, and they were saying how the meetings after the meetings are bad. Right. Yes. Um, because now yeah. you're not including people in decisions. Right. Um, but you also know the meetings before the meetings are necessary because you yes. got you, you should educate people and you know, know where yeah. people are before you like. So when you do your meetings, it matters to everyone. Just FYI. <laughs> exactly. Completely agree. And on the, the don't have the meeting after the meeting is if that's happening, typically what's hap- what's what's mm-hmm. going on there is not everything was said in the meeting. Yep. It basically means that somebody held back. And so after the meeting, they're going around and now saying how they feel about it to different individuals. And now the whole thing can fall apart. So that's why when you are a leader uh, and you are in these meetings to to really make sure that everyone feels comfortable mm-hmm. uh, sharing exactly how they feel about something. And so as leaders, sometimes you have to draw that out. Hey, yeah. Adam, you've been really quiet through this whole thing. Can you tell me how you're feeling? How are you reacting to this? Uh, and if you can draw all of that out, you will avoid that meeting after the meeting where things tend to fall apart. So, Are you ready to bring your DEI efforts to the next level? Introducing Alex Tremble, a professional speaker who combines expertise and entertainment to create an unforgettable experience for DEI professionals and organizing staff. With a focus on leadership, mentorship, and relationship building, Alex is dedicated to helping organizations attract, develop, and retain diverse and high-qualified leaders. From the 12 pillars of an effective mentoring relationship to the seven must-have leadership skills, Alex provides practical advice that can be immediately implemented. Don't miss out on the opportunity to have Alex at your next event. Contact team at alextrimble.com to book the speaker who will take your organization's diversity and inclusion journey to new heights. So again, you, I, I love you keep setting these layups up so I can, I can like, you know, dump. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. There are, there are a lot of people who feel uncomfortable um, sharing their thoughts in a meeting and so on and so forth. And I've heard a lot recently over the importance of, you know, pri- providing people the space to share their information during the meeting, or if they don't feel comfortable, maybe they'd share their information afterwards, one-on-one. But now you run into a challenge because, you know, they, they're, the conversation may have had, the decisions already been made. Now you're, you're going back in circles. My question is, at some, is there a level at which there is this an expectation that if leaders have something to say, they say it during the meeting? Like, is it at the VP level? Is it at the, like, you're just, you're expected, hey, look, these people in your team are depending on you to, to speak up. If you don't speak up, you're, you're not doing your job. Yeah, I actually think it's at all levels of the organization, but it has to be modeled and led by the leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually do in our own organization, we do development around this. So we, uh, we use a model um, from the Arbiter Institute called Outward Mindset. And it's really all about how you approach people um, and how you approach problems as, um, as groups, really. And one of the, like, the key elements of that is getting curious, right? So it's asking questions and drawing out um, all of that and making sure that people really do have that safe safe space to feel comfortable. 
Um, so if the leaders can model it, they'll they'll model it down the organization in all the different layers and and all of those different meetings. Um, I also think there's something to say about just the the whole team building aspect of it. How do you get the people in the room feeling really comfortable with mm-hmm. that uh, ahead of time so that it's not just you're trying to do it in, in the moment, in the meeting? Yeah. Uh, and so we do things uh, where um, some exercises and development where we get a little bit a little vulnerable and we talk about our past. We talk about uh, things that might make us uncomfortable, but then we get really used uh, to seeing each other as people versus yeah. our job titles or whoever we might be. And and the more we do that, the more we feel comfortable saying, Hey, you know what? I see that differently and here's why. Uh, and you, you just get much more comfortable with that. You know, I, I love what you said about see each other as people. And I, I want to underscore a point. So everyone listening, if you've been listening for a while, you know, I have a certain soft spot in my heart for leaders and supervisors. And, you know, I'm never, I, don't think, I don't think I've ever shared this. So I'm going to share this first time. If I get canceled or someone doesn't like me, I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> in advance. Or I apologize, not sorry. Um, so I, the, the, the reason why I, have a, I like to focus my efforts and my trainings and everything on leaders and supervisors because um, I don't know, I have this thing about working with people who are not always um, um, focused on. Like, you know, like when my wife and I go to like a donation place, like people are like, oh, I want to donate here, I want to donate here. Like I always donate to the general fund because you know why? The employees of that organization are generally paid out of the general fund. Like you got to support them as well. And so I, when I think about leaders within organizations. I always think about, you know, my experience. When I was a senior leader, um, I, cared and still do care about my employees at all levels. But I can tell you that many employees who, who I worked around didn't necessarily care about whether it be me or other senior level leaders, because you know why? We made more money. We're in leadership, so we don't have problems. Just suck it up. And I, as I work with and coach a lot of leaders, they feel the same way, is that people don't treat them as people. They treat them as like, we're people, we're the quote unquote staff, line staff, they're people, but leaders are leaders and there's a difference. And I, I just love to hear your, your reaction, I guess. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think that, that can get kind of, uh, I think that can create some challenges, right? If, if you're not seeing everybody as people and all contributing to the organization in the way that they contribute to the organization. So yes, leaders typically have more experience. They've been doing it longer. Um, they have more decision-making authority because they have more. They have they have that background and their uh, and they have that skill. But if you if you think about a lot of your workers as employees who are not leaders as the future of your company, and why wouldn't you want to really focus on developing them to be the leaders behind you? Um, that makes a lot of sense to me if you want to, if you do that and you can't do that if you don't see them as people and and don't treat them the same so that's really important to us and that is within our own organization we've got a couple of values that really go towards that so we have one uh, our values start with we are kind and they end with we make it fun and those two elements and all the work is kind of in between really talk to how we treat people in our organization, how we respect them, how we uh, really value them for what they bring to the table. And if you do that, then you'll, then you will see them as people. And I, 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 I love it. Kind and you have fun. And it starts with being kind because again, like you said, it goes up and down, you know, quote unquote, people who are in leader management positions, they have families, they have 
hard, hard times too. They have budget issues. They have all the different, you know, stressors. I, I was working with a CEO and I can't tell you how stressed he was just in trying to ensure one, that companies manage well, but going out and fundraising all the time. Like he, there's so many different things on his plate. And even this CEO felt like people didn't necessarily care because he made so much money. He was like, well, right. deal with it. You know, and it's like, well, he's a person, he's a human too. Um, so I, I love that you start with being kind. Um, right. I, I, I love to, I, I mean, you have a very interesting background. I, I wanted to sure. say, because you also, you're a comms guy. I mean, you have, a, you have comms chops, right? Well, I'd have, uh, I went to school for it, for sure. <laughs> you should <laughs> have with it. <laughs> and then, of course, <laughs> and then, of course, I did a whole lot of, a lot of different things. So I don't have a very robust comms background. Not really. It's mostly all human resources and talent management and that kind of stuff. But Well, so everyone, FYI, we're going to edit out the part where he didn't say he had a strong <laughs> comms. <laughs> because I'm still going to ask this question. As as I did my homework on you, I was actually I was really impressed with you know email campaigns that you would create to educate employees and staff and and other individuals of how great your organization is. But you didn't just say, "Oh, we are great." You used it. You used stories of people telling their experiences. Um, you've talked about uh, what do you call it? A uh, shoot, I had a note here. A recruitment marketing mindset, right? It's not just about recruitment, it's marketing and marketing. Obviously, marketing and comms are different, but they're in the same vein, right? Like, I love to hear how did you then go about blending these two um, areas where a lot of people don't actually blend? Yeah. So the, the type of recruitment marketing that, that we are doing uh, and have been doing for the past eight or nine years uh, in our system is mostly for hairstylists. That's the the 30,000 stylists that we have in our system is really uh, how we exist as an organization. We are only as good as all the stylists in the system. And it's a finite pool of talent. You have to have a license to cut hair in the US and almost every province in Canada. And if you want to know which province to not, or province, <laughs> province not province, if you want to know which province not to get your hair cut in because they don't have to be licensed, <laughs> ping me afterwards and I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, but essentially, you know, we we need to get our unfair share of the talent because there's not enough stylists mm-hmm. to work for all the brands and all the full service salons. And so to get our unfair share of the talent, we need Greg Cups to be number one in the hearts mm-hmm. and minds of stylists. And we can't do that if we're just blasting people with ads as a, hey, we're, we're the best and you should come work for us, right? So we have to share the culture, share the story, um, and really talk about it differently. And we've really evolved how we've done that over the last couple of years. But what what we have how we've been successful in that is we have hired um, experts onto our team to help us with that. So social media experts, content individuals. So some of them could have recruitment background. Some could have some comms background. But the art of how you communicate in an ad or some type of uh, email or to post on social media or whatever that is, that is, that's how individuals see your brand. And we call it our talent brand. But that's how stylists see us, and we need we need us to be number one um, because the reality is, is if you went uh, if you went to every stylist today and said, "Hey, if you got fired from your job today, where would you go apply to next?" and they likely have a ranking in their head. It could be Great Clips is number one, Supercuts is number two, and Sport Clips is number three. Uh, we need Great Clips to be number one always, uh, and we actually <laughs> survey that so that we can understand if we're number one or just in the top ten. I, I'm hoping that everyone is listening to this because 
regardless of what industry you're in, I believe it's the same exact mindset you should have and be and be focusing in that and creating a strategy such as that. And I, you know, I just to say, you know, as I'm working with, as I work with organizations to to stand up mentoring programs or what we do is, you know, create um, uh, mentoring cultures, they're really always surprised that, yes, I'm like, yeah, we got to create the systems, administration, the selection, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. But there's also a marketing campaign attached to this. And, and it's not just Here's an email, send it out to everyone. Let, let's do some video. Let's capture some stories, the successes, like, because the, that is what wins hearts and minds. I, actually, there's some funny Allstate commercials. I think it's Allstate. Um, <laughs> <Just> like, Jake? <laughs> Everybody knows the Allstate commercials with Jake, right? I feel like we need a, I feel like we need a, uh, um, a spokesperson. But you know, the trouble with spokespeople is what if Jake messes up at some point? So if you if you think uh, back subway. to this, yes, and and then for like the next ten years, I I I couldn't tell people, <laughs> hey, I'm Jared, you know, like the subway guy. I had to switch it to like I'm Jared, like the jewelry store, <laughs> because I couldn't say the subway guy anymore. So exactly that. What if Jake messes up? So this is why Geico. I mean the the flow, the, right? <laughs> right. Geico is safe because I don't think the gecko is going to mess up. He's not a real a real thing, but I feel like we need a mascot that's like a a Shears or a Clippers or something that's not a real person. Because what if the real person messes up? So sorry, that was that was probably a sidebar. <laughs> so I think it's hilarious. Actually, again, if you're not watching this, you got to listen to podcast, but often then go watch it on YouTube because um, you can see his personality because of the awesome <laughs> headset he has on. Like this is his headset that he bought for himself. Right. This interview. <laughs> so, so the real story is, uh, I don't typically use a headset unless I'm like recording training or an interview or something like this. And so there's too much echo in my office uh, if I don't. So five minutes before this, I'm scrambling that around the house, and, I, and I've got two two boys, and my middle who has a much nicer black headset is like, no dad, like Fortnite, like the new release came out today and I'm with my friends. And so I had to go to my younger son's headset. And so these are for the Nintendo switch. So <laughs> one, one side of the headphones is turquoise. The other side of the headphones <laughs> is like this hot pinkish red color. And uh, so I, I look quite fun today. I, I, I thought dads could, could, could what was the word? Um, I think that Trump could could like pull the card, but evidently, I guess this is what I'm looking for to my future. Like my son saying, "Nah, I'm good." <laughs> right, right. It depends on depends on how you would like to be uh, revered for the rest of the day. I think, <laughs> like, <laughs> like how important is this Fort, Fortnite thing to you today? <laughs> it was really important because it was the launch of the new season, or I don't, I don't know, chapter level, whatever is new today. Um, that he's very excited about. So I was like, all right, fine. I'll grab Xander's <laughs> Nintendo Switch headset and it will look awesome anyway. I, I actually did. When, you, when I first saw you with those on, the first thing I thought, I, think, I told you, I thought you were a gamer and I'm like, like that, that's what yes. he's playing. For right. <laughs> nope. I leave all the gaming to my boys. I, uh, they did challenge me to pick up a hobby though, because my kids, they, they've bought me gifts over the years like father's day my birthday and then they like tease me because they're like well dad you never used it and i'm like well i know but like it wasn't an interest of mine so like the telescope that you bought me because you thought i was going to do some stargazing didn't go anywhere because <laughs> guess what 
I'm not that excited about stargazing. <laughs> so, so they finally said, well, why don't you figure out your own hobby? So I just bought an acoustic guitar. And oh. I'm learning to play the acoustic guitar. And so far, I can strum the opening riff to Dolly Parton's 9 to 5, which is like okay. four notes. <laughs> So I'm going to push pause on this real quick and you can go grab your guitar and (laughs) (laughs) this could be your big break. Yeah, right. (laughs) I think I've had like three lessons on the app that I'm I'm using. So it's probably not a great idea. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Great cut. Great clips. Um, he, he has, he, he's going on tour with Beyonce next year. Right. right? He's going to be busy. He's going to be too funny. I, I had one last question for you before we wrap up. I mean, let me see if I can still squeeze it in. So, you know, you you said I, I was watching an interview and you you made the the comment about unless you're unless you're doing something every day, the only way to stay on trend is to network. You were talking about how uh, oh you I see you shaking your head. Let me let what were you talking about and can you expand on that? Yeah. So. I, right now, I'm leading an HR organization, and I have one whole team that uh, is recruiting consultants for our franchisees. And I, but I haven't recruited in 15 years. I'd have to do some math. I think it's probably around 15 years. So I, it's it's hard to lead a strategy if you don't stay on top of the trends and what those strategies are. And one of the best, absolute best ways to do that is to network and have that group of people that you can connect with at any time to get some advice. So I've got a couple of other CHROs in the Minneapolis area. We've connected on pandemic related things. We've connected on pay and compensation. Hey, what are you guys doing over at your organization? Uh, We've connected on just just about everything. So I get a lot of insight there. I'm also part of groups. So there's a CHRO group in Minneapolis. I'm part of the Talent Marketing Board, which is an organization that where people talk about how they're handling recruiting and it's none of my competitors are there which is great so i can learn from hilton or i can learn from these other companies of how they're marketing to candidates and then obviously just going to to conferences uh that that we deem are are worthwhile and we get a lot of information from so it's it's just so important to stay on top of it otherwise you'll be complacent and uh and you won't move the needles so yeah that's how we do it well you know again my, my last thing i must shoot the, the, the conversation back over to you is i want to just underscore you you said the n-word not not that N word. You said networking. <laughs> that N word. Good. You said networking. And most people think of like networking in regards to looking for the next gig. And you just shared just how important it is to build those relationships for all aspects of your career, for information gathering, for for ga- for gaining the 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 support to, to for a program or project. You know, those relationship skills are critical, period. Yeah. And, you know, I hardly turn down an individual who reaches out to me for that type of purpose. Now, I get a lot of sales calls and things like that. But if somebody is just genuinely reaching out to me to say, hey, you know what, I'd like to rack your brain on this. I hardly ever turn that down because I've been in a situation where two months later, I've actually thought, you know what, I actually, that person might be able to help me with something that I, that I need. So for instance, the most recent one was we needed a, a high-level executive at an organization, and I had been networking with some uh, with a local company on that. And, and, and it wasn't like he was trying to sell me on something. We were just networking on what's working in talent acquisition. And then I reached out and said, hey, you know what? I actually need this role filled. I bet you can help me out with this. So you just kind of never know when the contacts and the network that you have is going to come through for you. Um, and you're really going to, to need them. 
Um, and I've also learned don't burn any bridges because you just never know when somebody in your network is going to circle back and be and be part of your life again uh, in a different way. So, uh, so that's my other advice on that. Jared, you have been sorry, Jared the jeweler. You have been <laughs> phenomenal. I love, I love, I love hanging out with you. Um, are there any final? <laughs> thank you. Um, thoughts, advice, anything you'd like to share as we wrap up? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, my biggest advice is just look for the opportunities and don't hesitate to try something that you never thought you were going to be tapped on the shoulder for. That has been a big piece of my career. I get, I've been tapped on the shoulder to, and they've said, Hey, would you be interested in doing this? We think you'd be great at it. And I've, I've just kind of jumped off the cliff feet first and said, sure, uh, let me do it. And all of those experiences have really led me to where I am today. And throughout each of those experiences, the reason I got, I kept getting tapped on the shoulder is because I just kept looking for the opportunities to improve something, to build something, to leave my mark on something. And if you do that, then you'll be noticed and people will start to, to tap on your shoulder to do those things for the things that they need help with. So, so that's my biggest advice is look for the opportunities and don't be afraid to say yes. Hey. I, I could not agree with you anymore. Thank you so much, kind sir, for joining us today. Thank you, audience. I appreciate everyone who's made it this far into the to the uh, into the show. I have a special gift for you. Uh, you know, everyone who dropped off already, they don't get they're gonna get this. I'm gonna give you this. Okay, on three, one, two, three. Thank you. See, look, wasn't that worth it? Like being on this, like <laughs> you know, no, you got all of that great information and excitement, and you gotta thank you. Like it's, it's, it's you're winning. Um, everyone, you know where I'm going with this. If you found this episode, any of this content to be helpful, to be inspiring, to be motivating, don't just look back, reach back, bring this content to someone else. Don't say that person should have been here. They should have been listening too bad. They weren't here. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Make sure you reach back and bring them to the table. And more importantly, bring this content to them. Click like, click subscribe, share your comments and pick up the book, um, Relationships That Work. And we kept talking about just how important those connections are. And that this book will walk you through how to do all of that information's in the description below. Can I tell you all one thing? And you know where I'm going with this. So I encourage you to stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Executive Appeal with Alex Trumbull. I invite you to follow The Executive Appeal wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me, your host, Alex Trimble, across all socials or via email for exclusive webinars, courses, and speaking engagements on continued topics of executive leadership. So until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.